Welcome to the Business Done Differently podcast, where we believe whatever's normal, do the exact opposite, and that standing out is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. Today, I am fired up to bring on the man who is helping bring back love into business. He's the founder of the Extreme Leadership Institute and the author of Love is Damn Good Business, the one and the only Steve Farber. Welcome today, my man. Jesse, it's great to be here with you. I am pumped. You know, obviously, we connected about a month ago. We've had a lot of fun uh, sharing some stories going on your show. And uh, now, you get to be on Business Done Differently and really talk about how love is different. So I just want to make sure you're mentally prepared today, Steve. I wasn't able to sleep last night in anticipation <laughs> of this event. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea what's going to happen, but I'm ready. I think. Well, good. Well, we're going to start. I'm not ready. I got crap lying all over my office floor. I was in here shooting videos yesterday. We were re- rearranging everything. I think you look good, my man. I think you look good. So we're going to start with a game, Steve. All right. And so this is a game we do at our ballpark. It's called Finish That Song Lyric. And it's fitting to your whole game, whole message. So I'm going to play a song when it stops. Even early for you in San Diego, you're going to finish that song lyric. Are you ready for this? I think so. Here we go. When it stops, finish it. Rock and roll. You want me to sing it or do you want me to say it? Yeah, sing it. Play it again. One more time. Come on, play it again. Here we go. All right, here we go. Wow. Two. Here we go. What's love got to do? Got to do with it? What's love on a second hand emotion? Yes, absolutely nailed it. Steve, have you ever sung on a podcast before? Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, I have. Wow, you, you can tell. You just absolutely. <laughs> I, I have. I have. Good. Well, well, thank you for hitting that note. That was uh, <laughs> barely. Yeah, I'm still working on my coffee. It's early in San Diego. Uh, I know, but it sounds great, man. So, of course, we got to start with little Tina Turner, What's Love Got to Do With It? Because I want you to actually open with answering that question a little bit, and then we're going to rock and roll into the show. Yeah. So, if by it you mean life, then it's obvious that love has everything to do with it. If by it you mean business, <laughs> it's the same answer. It's the same answer. And we're not accustomed to using the word love and business in the same sentence. But if you look at what the greatest leaders do, if you look at what the greatest businesses do, they're very clear that love is not fluffy. It's not a sentiment. It's not an abstraction. It's when done right in business, it's a a practice and a discipline and a way of connecting with people and creating a relationship that people just won't go anywhere else to do business and They want to work for you. They want to bring other people on board. You get the best people. You keep the best people. And it gives you a fantastic competitive advantage. So it's got everything to do with it. Well, people are often afraid to talk about it. What's your definition of love or love at work? Yeah. So I really, there's so many different kinds of love and we use the word so many different ways. I prefer not to add yet another definition. And here's why. It's one of those things where we know it when we see it. And we use, or we know it when we feel it as well. And we use the word in a lot of different ways that on the surface means very different things. But if you dig a little bit deeper, it's the same experience. So for example, I love pizza, right? So love my wife. I love them 
very differently. <laughs> one I shouldn't love and one I should, but it's still love, right? So there's something there. So there are different kinds of love. You know, there's the, the romantic love and the erotic love and, the, and the, the friendly love. And we kind of, we lose the message if we get too caught up in the semantics of it. Yes. Instead, it's, a, it's an experiential thing, right? So my love, your fans, they, they come to a Savannah Banana game. They love that experience. And those same people will drink their favorite drink and go, oh, I love this, man. It's a different experience. Yes. But the description of it and the connection with it is, is something we all recognize when we're there. So that's what we're after is to create that experience. And then we have to make sure that we're tracking it in the right way. Yeah. And I love that. You know, creating an experience. I think it's just, as we're both in business circles, people are hesitant to talk about it. They feel uncomfortable. Great leaders. It was even a challenge for myself until our people started saying it back to us. And we started talking about it in a normal way. Uh, where do you start? If so, like we want to get a business and it's not just focused on creating a great product, but how do you build love in your organization? It's obvious that we can see it's important, Steve. Where do you start here? What have you seen? First of all, I think the first step is to make it obvious that it is important. To me, it's obvious that it's important. <laughs> you, it's obvious that it's important. I mean, the three loves of the Savannah Bananas. The first step is to set it as a standard, mm. right? And then it's not enough. It's not enough to use the words. That's the easy part, right? And we see companies do this all the time. They print the buttons or the banners and say, we love our customers. And they make all their employees wear that button. And they put the banners, you know, everywhere in the in the office or on or on, in their marketing materials. Yeah, yeah. On TV. And that's the easy part. The the question then is, what should that look like in the way that we do business? Mm -hmm. That allows that's what gives us the opportunity to be creative and innovative. And just posing that question sets a new standard and a new expectation, right? So for example, if I say, let's get together team and Brainstorm about how we're going to improve customer service, okay? Which everybody does, at least occasionally. I would hope so. Anyhow. Yes. And you're going to get some answers. You get some pretty good answers. But on the other hand, if the question is, hey, team, let's get together and talk about how we can better show our customers that we love them, mm. you get a different kind of answer. And because what you've just done is you've raised the bar. You've raised the expectations. So it's not about using the word. And it's not about, you have to appeal to common sense here. You know, oftentimes people will say to me, well, aren't you afraid about, you know, people misunderstanding it, and, you know, that you get sexual harassment mm. issues and, and all this. That's not really, because that's not love. That's aggression. It's a very different thing. <laughs> yes. I, I hope it would be obvious. But that's why people get kind of, one of the reasons people get kind of squirmy about it. So it's about re, first of all, like you said, making it obvious to ourselves that this is the standard. And then it's about translating it into action, which in business means everything from the kind of people that we hire and the way that we hire them to our po internal policies and procedures to our, our customer approach and our product, our service. It's all, if it's all built around, is this going to contribute to an experience that people will love, then we're on the right track. Yeah. It's a great starting point. Say, all right, what can we do to love on our customers more? What can we do to love on our people more? And you start having those conversations. And often, Steve, it's just one person at a time. I think Howard Schultz, one cup a day or one cup, one customer, one experience at a time. 
And I think when you talk about that, like a great example, you mentioned Rosella the Tella. And again, I'm from Boston, all right? So I have a little tie in here, but Rosella the Tella didn't have a mindset of just, hey, better customer service. It started with love. Because share a little bit about her, because I love these examples. Yeah, so the um, I'm in the business, as you know, of uh, teaching leadership. I've been doing that for, for 30 years. And the biggest conclusion that I've come to in my three decades of wandering about the planet and various businesses is that if I could be so presumptuous as to quote myself, love is just damn good business, right? So I'm a storyteller and I live to collect stories and share them. So I was out in Boston in your old hometown a while back to speak at uh, a meeting of the senior management team for what at the time was Sovereign Bank. Now it's part of Santander. This is an East Coast branch or East Coast uh, chain of banks. They don't exist out here in California, so I'd actually never heard of them. And I did my homework ahead of time, as I always do. You know, spent some time on the phone with the senior, a couple of the senior executives, learned about the company, their values, their mission, objectives for the meeting, you know, all that, all that stuff that we do before we speak, right? And then, uh, but I'd never actually been in a sovereign bank. So I got out to Boston a day early, and I took advantage of the extra day on the road to take care of some personal business, which meant I had to get a couple of documents notarized. So I'm a stranger in town. I don't know where to go to do that. So I go to the concierge of the hotel. He said, you know what? Sovereign Bank has a branch across the street from the hotel. I'm pretty sure they have a notary over there. So I thought, cool. This is really convenient because now I can go get my personal business done and do a little reconnaissance work at the same time. A little ghost customer thing, right? So I was anonymous, obviously. I wasn't wearing Groucho glasses, but I was anonymous because nobody knows who the hell I am. And so I walked across the street, walked into this branch, just two tellers sitting side by side, right, small branch. Walked up to teller number one, told her I was looking for a notary. She pointed to teller number two. She said that would be Rosella over here. She's our notary in residence. She's also a teller, and she'll take care of you. I said, thank you. So I stepped over to Rosella's window. And we started doing the usual notary stuff, signing and stamping and all that. And she was really lovely, but I didn't tell her anything about who I was or what I was doing there. I didn't tell her that the next day in that hotel across the street, all of the big bosses of the company will be gathered where I will have my way with them. I mean, I didn't say anything to her about this, right? And I didn't say anything about my philosophy of leadership. I wasn't quoting myself. (laughs) Just small talk. She was lovely. And after she stamped the last stamp, she asked me a question that I would expect any notary to ask at the end, which is, or I asked her, what do I owe you? And she said, no, you don't owe me anything. This is just a service that we provide to our customer. I said, well, Rosella, you know, I'm not a customer. And she said, oh, that's okay. Maybe you will be someday. So I thought, oh, you know what? That's, that's really good. So then, again, not telling her anything, not, not wanting to bias her answer in any way, I just asked her a simple question. I said, hey, Rosella, how do you like working here at Sovereign Bank? Just out of curiosity, what's what's it like to work here? And her face lit up, and she said, I love it. I love it. Then she started telling me about that other bank that she worked for and how terrible it was. But this place was so great because it's so collaborative and people take care of each other. And then she starts going on and on about her customers and about how wonderful they are. And, and she has this great relationship with them. And sometimes they stop in just to say hello, even when they have no business to do, because that's the kind of relationship they had. And at one point, so I have this weird habit. I, 
when I'm hearing something that's really relevant to my work, and especially because I was giving a talk there tomorrow, I was taking notes, right? <laughs> She's talking about taking notes. And one of the, so this is a quote. One of the things she said to me was, I love my customers and I get great pleasure from serving them, so I'm happy. So she was explaining this wonderful dynamic that, you know, I love them, which makes me want to take care of them. The better I take care of them, the more they appreciate it, the happier that makes me. And then when our relationship gets better, then they stop in just to say hello, even when they have no business, blah, blah, blah. So I looked up at her and I said, Michelle, would you mind if I quoted you on this? And she said, would you like me to notarize it? <laughs> and of course I said, yes, that would be great. So she took out her business card, flipped it over, wrote the words, I love my customers across the top and stamped it. <laughs> pushed it across the counter to me. I, of course, took a picture of it with my iPhone and stuck it in my PowerPoint slides, and I showed that everywhere I go. So that's just, that's just one really simple example, Jesse, but what that says to me is that there is, in order to create an experience that your customers are going to love, like hers do, because they, they just love her so much, they stop in to say hi, you have to create an environment that people love working in, which she obviously does, mm. right? That there's something about that place that inspires her to take that kind of care of her customers. And as a leader, I can't create that kind of environment that a Roselle is gonna love unless I have it myself first. Mm. Unless I'm bringing that to the party. If I don't love this place, if I don't love my team, if I don't love my customers, yeah. how can I expect my employees to do that? Yes. So again, it's not about the sentiment and just having that nice, warm, toasty feeling. I've got to put it into practice in a way that people can experience it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it starts 100% with the leadership. But it was interesting when we took our team to Disney just about a month ago. And uh, well, two months now before the whole craziness. Yeah. And I asked everyone who was working there, or the people that were especially having fun. I go, hey, what do, you, what do you like about working here? And the same answer, every one of them was, oh, the people, the kids, the people coming and serving them, having fun with them. And it's yeah. so important if you can see that as not a job, but the opportunity that you're giving other people, just like they, she saw, oh, this guy walks in, he needs some help. I'm going to make his day. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a simple concept. So Steve, I love this from the frontline person, Rosella, but also from the leadership perspective. I'll tell you in your book, L.A. Cohen, Saleshood. Yeah. So inspired by some of the things that they were doing. Can you share a little bit? Because that's such a great idea from the onboarding, from the passion videos until the NPS and measuring love. I'd love to share a little bit of that because I think that's every company should be doing this type of stuff. Yeah, it's Eli. Eli, sorry. Um, yeah, they're uh, saleshood. It's a really cool company. It's a startup kind of a thing. And uh, net promoter score, just to put it in context, you know, the, the classic net promoter score is you go to your customers and you say on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely are you to refer us to friends, family, colleagues, et cetera. And the idea behind the net promoter score is if you're not getting a 9 or a 10, it's a fail. Yeah. Right? So you can't say, well, we got an 8. That's not bad. You got a 10. No, that's, that's bad. <laughs> right? So 9 or 10. So they do net promoter score uh, or some version of it. What makes Eli different is when he gets bad feedback from a customer, he writes to them. So he will call or write a customer who's flamed them. <laughs> yeah. And it's something that I very rarely hear people do. Mm. And it takes guts, right? I mean, just to, to walk right into the fire mm. and say, I'm really sorry we let you down. Can you tell me more about that? And he's had many occasions where that's turned the situation around and they got an opportunity to fix it. Because, you know, this isn't about perfection. None of us is perfect. Yeah. Well, you create a fan for life that way a lot of times because you show that you care and a challenge. And so that's huge, the NPS, NPS, but also with the people, 
they start with the passion videos, which were just really interesting. Hear me about that a little bit. Yes. What are you passionate about? And have people, you know, they have people record that and talk about it. So what happens in most places is you can work side by side with somebody for years and never know what makes them tick. Mm. Never know what lights them up unless you just happen to discover it. Mm. And they go out of their way to find out what people's passions are. Right? So people record videos of that and, and communicate it and it becomes part of their culture that way. What's really fascinating now in the times where we're recording yes. this conversation, right in the middle of this Corona stuff, the deep irony that's happening now is that because we're physically separated, we're doing our own passion videos all day long via Zoom, right? Because we're just hanging out and talking with each other. Yes. And I've had so many people, because I've been talking to a lot of people lately, and I've like back-to-back Zoom. Yeah, tell people what you're doing. I love this, so what you're doing with that. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so, so I, when this whole thing started and we were all locked down at home, I thought, well, this is a good opportunity to uh, let people know that I'm here and we're all at home. So I wanted to have a chance to connect with people because I had the opportunity to. So I just sent my personal booking link to my email list. And I said, if you want to have a chat, just book a call. No agenda, just whatever. Because I'm a coach and an advisor and, and yeah. all that. I've been doing that forever. So maybe I can offer some help. Maybe I can just yeah. hang out and talk a little bit. with people that read my books, they're fans of my books, that want the opportunity just to shoot the, you know, shoot the, so, uh, <laughs> uh, for the record, by the way, we did an interview series with our catcher last year, interviewing players in the bathroom stalls, and it was called Shooting the... <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole other thing. So as soon as you brought that up, I thought back to our series. Man, don't, don't, don't start. I won't be able to breathe. <laughs> uh, so anyway, what happened was I had back-to-back, I've got back-to-back calls for like weeks. And I had a bunch of videos I had to shoot for a client. Yeah. We, we had to reschedule a whole week's worth of calls. But it's worth it, man, because what's happening is I'm talking to all these folks, and it's so wonderful. Yeah. And what happens is what I'm seeing going on here is that, is that for the first time, a lot of these folks who have worked, in some cases, worked with their team for a long time, mm-hmm. thought they knew everybody. Mm-hmm. Now they're getting to know each other better because what's happening is – you're sitting in your living room and I'm sitting in my living room. Your kids are walking by, your pet's crawling over your head, your spouse is walking through the yep. you know, walking through the shot, and I'm getting to know you. I'm getting to, and it's like show me your pet, show me your kid. How's Tyler doing? How's <laughs> it's fantastic. And people so if you're watching this on video, you see, for example, I have a guitar in the background, yes. right? So we're seeing that kind of a thing. We're seeing the physical environment. Say, hey, I didn't know you played guitar. You can't yeah. play that. I was 13 years old. <laughs> and so we're discovering our passions all the time. But this is the thing, Jesse. That's always been important. <laughs> it's always been true. Yeah. It's just that right now we're being almost, not almost, we're being forced to experience it. And my hope is that it's going to stick afterwards. Yeah. So Eli Cohn and, and Saleshood are a really good example of, they've been doing that for a long time. Well, it's a great example of you and Annie Lai. It's not about you. It's about the other people. So when it, if you think about this from a business done differently standpoint, most times someone joins a company and they get all the things that they need to do with the business. It's not about them. You say, hey, we're going to do a video today just about your passions, about you as a person. Yes. And that is a huge first step because it shows that we care about you as people, not just as an employee and what you can do for us. That, like, I wrote that down in my book report that I said, I was like, we are going to start doing passion videos. We have interns starting next Tuesday, like literally videos. Let's get to know them. 
Because what is it when they leave that day? They're like, wow, they actually care. So I love that. And I also love that Eli goes the next step with saleshood and he brought in a person to measure how much what they love working there or their experiences. Tell me about yeah. that because I think that's the next step. Yeah. So measurement is important in this as well. And again, in a way, we've always been measuring this, right? So for example, Gallup every year puts out its engagement report, right? Hmm. And employee engagement has become a really important and popular thing to measure in, I mean, this has been going on for a long time now. The idea being that the more engaged our employees are, the more productive they'll be and all that that good stuff. Now, if you look at the last 10 years or so, we have spent, I think the number is somewhere around trillion dollars on leadership development, business-wide, you know, across industries. If you look at where the needle has moved, in terms of employee engagement, it hasn't. It hasn't budged. So I think what's missing is we're measuring, we're not necessarily measuring the right thing. Mm -hmm. We're not putting our attention in the right place. The love piece is what's been missing because a highly engaged workforce is essentially saying, I love working here. So measuring people's experience, what is it like to work here? is something that every company should do in their own way. But not just because you're, you can't let it become a left-brained exercise, right? We get the numbers and we, get, we do employee opinion surveys or whatever, and then we look, at the, we look at the results and then we stuff it in a drawer. And then the next year we do another survey and then we look at the results and we stuff it in a drawer. And then we do, next year we do another survey and then we go, well, why aren't people filling out the survey? Well, because you didn't do anything with it. Yes. So again, this is not about love as a sentiment. It's about looking for ways to measure and stay attuned to people's experience in working there. So you can hire people to come in and do that for you, or you could do something really simple. You can walk around every chance you get or zoom around into wherever, whatever the, the, the context <laughs> the medium. Yeah. And you just ask people, tell me what your experience is like in working here. Hmm. Especially if you're the positional leader of the company. And, and as you know, my point of view on leadership is that leadership's got nothing to do with your position or title. Mm. You can lead from any position, but if you're in a position of authority, if you are the boss or the owner or the manager or whatever it is, even though you, that doesn't automatically make you a leader, the expectation that you'll be a leader is automatically there. Mm. People want you to lead. So if you're in that role, just it's the old, you know, once upon a time, the mayor of New York City was a guy named Ed Koch. And Ed Koch was known for walking around the streets of New York and say, asking, just stopping random New Yorkers and asking the question, how am I doing? How am I doing as your mayor? And if you ask a New Yorker how you're doing, you're going to get an honest answer, right? So take that approach. Just it's, do you love working here? You don't? Oh, okay. Well, what can we do to, to get you closer to that? These are obvious questions yes. that, that take, take a lot of guts to, to ask. You're going to get an honest answer, hopefully. And there's the four why test too, where you can, I did that with Lizzie, our director of merchandise, been there since the beginning. And I asked her, I said, what do you like about working here? She's like, I don't know, it's fun. And I go, well, what do you like? Like, go further. And I kept asking why, why, why? Yeah. And finally she said, it's the people. It's same. It's just the people we're around. So as a leader, if you want to make it a great experience, you also got to look at every single hire, every single person you bring into your company. Is that going to make it better for the people around you? Not, are they going to sell more? Are they going to bring in more revenue? That's, I think, a probably important piece to that. Yeah, you know, it's critical. And so who you hire and how you hire them, 
is the raw material that you have to work with, right? And then what happens is, and I bet this happens in your enterprise. I'd, I'd be shocked if it doesn't. So let me just make a guess. Your best recruiters are your people that work for you. 100%. Yeah. So if I love working here, I want other people to love working. I want other people to be here with me. Yes. So for example, you know, one of the case studies in the book uh, is a company called Trader Bridge. And they're, they're in Jacksonville, Florida, a shipping and logistics company, right? Not a glamorous or sexy business. It's a turnaround situation. I won't go into all the details on it, although it is one of my favorite stories. But, you know, in a nutshell, they came out, they've been around for 30 years, came out of bankruptcy. They were awful. I'm not speaking out of school. They were, they were just a <laughs> toxic, awful place. High turnover. You know, they went bankrupt, losing money hand over fist, obviously. That's kind of redundant. And they burned through four CEOs in two years, four heads of HR in two years. And so you can imagine working there, it's like, oh, here comes the next CEO, keep your head down, this will pass, you know. And it was just uh, kind of a miserable place. Have I made that clear enough? <laughs> yes. Uh, and then um, Mitch Luciano, who was a senior manager at the time, was tapped by the board to take over as CEO. It's like, okay, Mitch, it's your turn. Good luck. Good luck. And he said, okay, I'll take it, but you have to let me do this my way. That's what he said to the board. And these guys are uh, venture, you know, VCs and, and uh, you know, private equity guys and you know, bottom line yeah. people. And basically what he was saying, although he didn't use these words, he said, I'm a love guy. So I'm going to make this place that people going to love working in, that our customers are going to love doing business with, which was really kind of radical because at the time, none of, <laughs> nothing could be further from the truth. They were like a discount shipper. So they ship from, you know, ship goods from primarily from mainland U.S. to uh, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, that's their business. Right? Yes. So it was hard to fill these barges because service was so bad. So they, were, they kept cutting their prices and that's why they lost money. So Mitch understood that the way they're going to turn this business around is to create an experience that their customers would love doing business with. And he couldn't do that unless he created a culture at Trailer Bridge that people loved working in. Mm. So what that meant was he had to take the people that he had and show them that he meant this and to be clear of what he was trying to create. So the first thing he said was, I won't take the title of CEO. I'll take the responsibility, but I have to earn the title of CEO because the previous guys put a little baggage associated with that CEO title, right? He said, I'll be president. I'll earn CEO. Hmm. And then he got rid of all the name badges in the building because he said, we're 130 people, we should know each other's names, which meant that he had to learn everybody's name, right? So just little things like that. Some were very symbolic, but he was looking at the people, back to your point. And what he discovered was that he, he really believed in the team, but there were people on that team that just shouldn't be there. Mm. There are people who resisted this whole new approach that we're going to get to know each other and build a community here. Mm -hmm. So he did his best to coach them. And then he said, bye-bye. So there's such a thing as tough love too. Yes. And, and you know, because a lot of them just weren't suited for this new culture. They shouldn't be there anyway, so they'd be miserable anyhow. So they did a number of things. They, they did everything from looking at their, at their customer policies. So for example, my favorite example is it had been, if you look at business in strictly a bottom line sense, and you don't ask the question, what should love look like here? Then you end up with, with something like what they had, which was their policy was they would not ship a barge unless it was at least 75% full. Mm -hmm. Because if it wasn't at least 75% full, they would lose money on that shipment. 
So obviously you wouldn't do that because we're not in business to lose money. Mm-hmm. Right yeah. now, look at it from the customer perspective. I'm shipping a car to Puerto Rico and I tell my family it's going to be there at a particular time and it never gets there. Mm-hmm. I call the company. Where the hell's my car? Oh, we didn't ship it because we couldn't sell enough space. Yes. Right. So they asked the question, if we loved our customers, what would we do under those circumstances? Then it's pretty obvious, right? hundred percent. We sail. Yeah. No matter what, because that's what yeah. we said we would do. Yeah. And that's what they started doing. So. Now, fast forward, they're always at least 98%, if not 100% full. The last year, 2019, was the most profitable in the history of the company. The two years preceding that, their revenues exceeded the previous 25 years of the company combined. They've been voted number one and number two best place to work in the city of Jacksonville. I mean, it's just, it's just insane, the turnaround. But back, see, I'm a storyteller. Very <laughs> hard for me to give a short answer. But back to back to the original, you know, to what you were saying about the people. Yes. One of the, uh, I don't know if it was an unintended consequence, but it's an important consequence. They don't spend any money on recruiters anymore. Yeah, they don't need to. Because their employees are their best recruiters. Because they want other people to come work with them there. So they've actually trained their employees on how to recruit, how to interview. How to, yeah. And it's a phenomenal thing. We step back and look at it and go, well, yeah, obviously. It makes so much sense. I love it. But it's just not obvious to a lot of people. Uh, I love it. Our, our fans first director actually created these cards that says, you are a rock star. And so when we go out to uh, restaurants or go out anywhere else, our team will give it to them and say about t- teaming up with us during the summer because they are recruiters. So we all have them in our pockets at all times. And uh, something that's going in the ROI of love, Steve. And I, you have a whole chapter on that. I want to get into that second. But something you talked about before was policies. Policy yeah, yeah. is to police. And you know how I feel about policy. We have zero policies. Policies do not equal love. If you have policies, you're creating a policy because of someone doing something wrong and you're not treating them like adults. You can have standards. We have a fans first standard of how we do things, but not policies. So maybe one right now, look, do you have policies? Like, I don't know how you feel. I'm very adamant about policies. Like if you ask our staff, we have none. What, do you, what are your yeah. thoughts on it? I mean, obviously, I'm very animated. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's brilliant. And some of it's semantics, but I, but I think you're right that what happens in a lot of companies, yeah. there are certain kinds of industries where you need policies because they, they could be regulated. Healthcare, uh, financial. Right? Yeah. yeah. So the problem is that in an industry that's more, say, process or policy oriented because they have to comply with X, Y, or Z. Yes that mentality produces a mindset that says, because this policy is in place, every other, we need policies for everything. Yes. And once it becomes a policy, it is a universal, natural law that can never be violated. It's the policy mindset that's the problem. Yes. Let's make a distinction. This is something we have to do. Like, for example, food safety regulations. Everything else, I love your, your terminology, everything else we have a standard to live up to and how we do that and go beyond it, that's open game. 100%. So give it your best shot. 100%. We're going to get into some quick more games and some fun, but I need to dive in a little more on ROI of love, Steve, because there's a few great examples. You talk about uh, Brian Stevens, the turnaround of Ponderosa. You talk about the American greetings. Um, there's some other examples that you talk about. Which one do you think you've learned the most on the ROI of love? from another story from your book that we can put into play today? Yeah, so first of all, the way that I approach ROI is not in the, not in the traditional sense. So 
the classic definition of ROI is return on investment. Yes. And what I'm suggesting is that there's showing or operationalizing is the, the phrase that I like to use. Operationalizing love in the way that you do business is an investment of sorts. Mm-hmm. And yes, there'll be a return. There'll be a bottom line return. But what will happen to feed your soul is not return on investment, although they will happen, but reciprocity of your investment. In other words, the phrase is, the the framework is do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. Mm -hmm. If you're doing what you love, that's where your fire comes from. You're using that to serve people, to give great value to people. The natural result will be that they will reciprocate. They'll love you in return. And in business, what that looks like oftentimes is everything from spending more money, word of mouth, mm-hmm. forgiveness factor when things go wrong, you know, that, that sort of thing. All those things that we're looking for anyway. So I will tell you that Brian Stevens is, is one of the most dramatic examples that I've seen of this for a couple of reasons. One, he discovered this approach of love and business before he was even consciously aware of it. Mm. So I'll tell you the story in a nutshell a rather large nutshell, but a nutshell. <laughs> so Brian Stevens is, is kind of a legend in the, in the branding world. He came out of Yum! Brands. Mm-hmm. So you know, they own a lot of you know, fast food franchises and so forth. And have you ever seen this thing where you go to, you see a Taco Bell and a Pizza Hut under the same roof? Next together, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's Brian. That was Brian's original brainchild. So he's had a great career. And, he started, and he's always been passionate about, about the food business, right? So when he was a young man and in his hometown of Gary, Indiana, he got hired by the local Howard Johnsons as a dishwasher. So he started out as a dishwasher and he, and people there loved him because he was, you know, he was energetic and he was friendly and he did a great job. So he was given a management position and then he was recruited by Ponderosa Steakhouse and he was still in his twenties and, but he's got a lot of fire and he's, you know, he's a really ambitious ambitious young punk at this time, right? <laughs> so he kept pushing for his own, he wanted his own restaurant, he wanted his own store. And he kept saying, you're too young, you need more experience. And finally they said, okay, fine, we'll give you your own store. So he, they gave him Ponderosa store 319 in Gary, Indiana. And the reason they gave him that store is because it was the worst store in the chain. They said, okay, let's see what you can do, smart ass, right? So he takes the job, he, he goes in, and he looks around, he sees people wearing dirty uniforms, people showing up to work late, the place was dingy, people weren't doing their paperwork. And for a young, just think about this. You started out, you were what, 24 when you managed your 20, team? 23 when I ran the first team, yeah. 23, okay. For most people, and you're obviously not cut from the same cloth as most young aspiring leaders, right? Most would walk into a situation like that and drop the hammer, mm-hmm. start showing up, on time, or you're fired. Do your paperwork, or you're fired. Clean your uniform, or you're fired. That's not what he did. He said, okay, team, they tell us that we're the worst in the chain. Every Ponderosa store has the same menu, has the same layout, has the same system. So when they're telling us that this store is the worst in the chain, what are they saying? We're the worst people. And I don't believe that's true. So he set a goal to go from worst to first within two years. He has a way with words. He made it rhyme. Worst to first in two years. And he's a very inspiring guy, right? So rally the troops. So he set, he set out an objective measurement, right? We're already measuring. Ponderosa is already measuring performance in the stores. By their measurement, we will be first, okay? So then he did something really profound. He asked the question, why? 
Mm. Why are people showing up late? Why are people's uniforms dirty? And here's what he found. It was a very financially challenged area, let's say. So a lot of the people there didn't have their own cars, which meant they had to take public transportation. In Indiana, they have this thing called winter, right? Which means that it snows, which means that you have to take a bus or you got to walk to work through the snow through or any time of year. If the, if the bus is late, you're late or you got to walk. That's why people are showing up late. So what do you think he did? He got in his car and he picked them up. Now think about what happens when your boss picks you up at your home, drives you to work. You've got this transit time. You get to know each other, right? So he picked them up. So not only was it symbolic, but he got people there to work. And you got to know people better. Why were people's uniforms dirty? Because they didn't have washers and dryers. So, okay, well, one solution might be throw a roll of quarters at everybody. Say, here, go to the laundromat, wash your clothes, which would have been lovely. But that's not what he did. He had a washer and dryer. So he collected their clothes and he washed them himself. It was the last time he had a boss that did your laundry. <laughs> Why were people getting laxed in their paperwork? Because a lot of people, a lot of people on his team had trouble reading and writing. So he set up what he called the safe zone in the break area where the other man, he and the other managers would tutor their employees, help them get better at reading and writing. And it also became a place where people can come and talk about their challenges and their lives and things that they're struggling with. And there was a lot of struggle. He started going to their family functions. He went to weddings. He went to funerals. He got to know their families. And all of this adds up, of course, because the place turned around and they did go from worst to first in one year. Not, not two. And from there, he went on to be one of the youngest regional managers. When I met him, he was the president of Marco's Pizza, which at the time was the, one of the fastest growing food franchises on the planet. And now he's a very dear friend of mine and part of our extreme leadership community. Now he has a consulting company advising new franchises. I love it. Created a culture along the way. Now, here's the thing. It's, it's all about what does love look like? It would have been one thing for him to come in and say, I believe in you. I love you. Let's do this together and leave it at that. But take it from there to wash your clothes, pick you up, be your confidant, take care of your family. Mm. That's a whole different ballgame. That's what love looks like. That's yeah. what it looked like for him. So early on in his career, it was kind of an instinctual thing. But as he got more experience, he saw, oh, this is it's because I love them. Mm. I love business. I love the game yeah. and I love the people that play the game. I love it. You got to do it. I mean, it's, you can't just say it. You got to do it. I think that's so powerful. I was thinking when I finished your book, Steve, I was thinking, remember back in the day, like, I don't know if you ever did these, but like, you know, when you're young, like the idea of the love letter, when you're like in elementary school, you write a love letter to someone like, yeah, uh, yeah I didn't get many of those, but I probably tried to write some back in the day. Um, but the idea if you, you reverse engineered that and said, if your team was going to write you, your individual people on your team is going to write you a love letter for everything that you did for them and serve them, what would it say? And it wouldn't be just what you said to them. It'd be those acts, those acts of service, those things that they'll never forget. And I started thinking, I was like, all right, well, if we were to write a love letter to them, what would we say? If we write a love letter to our fans and just this concept of love letter started thinking about it, it's all one person at a time. And that was just so inspiring. So Thank you for sharing that. I, I got to meet this Brian guy. He sounds like a legend. Oh my gosh. You've, you guys would have a blast. Uh, it'd be a lot of fun. All right. Hey, what if it, a field finish. trip. We'll all get together and take a field trip to uh, Savannah. Let's do it, man. That'd be a lot of fun. All right. Let's finish with some quick games here. I want to go into your love, Steve. All right. So these are things that you love. So a, a business that you love right now that you absolutely love. Zoom. 
<laughs> okay, the practicality. I'll give you that one. Yeah, yeah. Right. Honestly, I don't, I don't know a damn thing about their culture. Yes. But I, I'm telling you, this has been the greatest uh, mass technology rollout <laughs> in human history. <laughs> Within a few weeks, we have people using this technology that never even turned on a computer before. It's amazing. amazing. Yeah, timing is everything. Up with it. They're, they're doing something right. You're right, they are. All right, an entrepreneur that you love. It's going to sound like such a stock answer, but I, I really do love what Steve Jobs did. And one of the reasons I love it is because he is such, he's not an example. His leadership style is not an example of what I've seen great leaders do. Uh, so I love him because, because he creates a, a uh, perspective like, like this. People say, well, Jobs, Jobs was an ego. You know, he, he had this horrible ego. He treated people terribly and all that. So yeah, there was one reason he could do that because he was Steve Jobs. He was so freaking brilliant. So if you think that you're going to achieve success by emulating his style, you're dead in the water. Listen, if you have that uh, luxury of having that level of genius, all right, have at it. But otherwise, it's the love that's going to bring you there, not that level of genius. So it's a little bit of a left-handed compliment, I suppose, but... It's good. No, it's good. All right. Something you love about your morning ritual. Coffee. Coffee. Uh, yeah, my morning ritual is, uh, is actually shifting right now. That's why I hesitated a little bit. I have a, the most productive day when my morning ritual includes breathing and meditating first. But ironically, I've been so, so busy these days that I get up, I drink my coffee, and I have my morning ritual in the early afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> what a morning ritual. And that is business done differently. All right, uh, a restaurant you love. There is, oh man, there's, I live in Little Italy in yeah. San Diego. So there are, there are so many restaurants here, and they're all closed, of course. So you just made me very wistful about this. There's a little, little restaurant right on the corner here called uh, King and Queen Cantina, which is a, a, a kind of a fusion Mexican place. Yes, and it's in Little Italy, but that's one of the things I love about it. What do you love about it, quickly? Uh, their, their approach to Mexican food is unlike anything I've ever seen. Flavors are amazing. Uh, the, the combinations are really creative, and they're literally a half a block from my place. Beautiful. All right, a book that you love. Uh, I have read The Lord of the Rings trilogy probably a dozen times in my lifetime. And I mean all three, all three books. That's a little and then, crazy. And then I've read The Last One, The Return of the King, more than that. So I have to say, if I look back over the course of my life, that's got to be the one, simply from the, you know, the amount of time and imagination invested in it. What do you love about that? Oh, that just the, the ability that he had to create an entire world. And it's what got me reading when I was a kid. The first time I read it, I was in middle school, hmm. maybe seventh grade, sixth or seventh grade. I, I love it. Grade. And I was so absorbed in it that the rest of the world just disappeared. And I got the experience of, oh, this is what great writing is. The words on the page disappear and, and you're absorbed in the story. So that was my first really visceral experience of that. Oh, I love it. All right, last, last love here, TV show. The Good Place. The Good Place, all right. And why do you love it? A absolutely. It's a, you know, Ted Danson and Kristen Bell. And yes. Absolutely inspired comedy. The writing is so creative and just hilarious. The execution of it, the acting is, is fantastic. The whole premise is insane. And yeah, I love it. 
I love one it. Of, one of my favorites. I have to say it's one of my favorites. I have a, I have a great deal of difficulty saying favorite. <laughs> yes. That was great. So just going through that, that what's, what's interesting to me is asking why you've got the, the zoom with the, you know, the timing, the execution, you've got Steve jobs because of the brilliance. You've got the uh, food because of the, uh, the mix and the food, how it all comes together, the flavors, you got Lord of the Rings because it's the experience you get absorbed in it. And the same thing with the TV show because of the, the comedy, the way it's written. It's interesting because it's all about experience. Again, yeah. everything that you mentioned is because of the experience that it provides. Exactly. And that is, by the way, Steve Jobs' brilliance was, yes. was he took technology and made it an experience. I love it. I love it. All right. Last few rapid fire. Question time. If you want better answers in business, you got to ask better questions. What's one of the best questions you're asking right now? Why do you love your work and how do you show it? Mm. How would you answer that? Because I have an opportunity to, to have an impact on people's lives. I have an opportunity to contribute to the shift of what it means to go to work. And work is, for a very long time, work has been, you know, for most people, is something that you do so you can earn the money to live your life on evenings and weekends. And I want to contribute to an experience that work is meaningful and fun and joyful for people. And what it looks like for me is teaching, uh, connecting with people, being genuine, keeping my ego out of the way, and giving people uh, various experiences through writing, speaking, conversation, where they can see more of their own full potential as leaders from whatever position they're in. I love it. I would play the uh, cue right now, Huey Lewis, Power of Love right now, to right here to finish that off. This is great. Someone's leaving, Steve, this conversation. What is a, a win that they could do to bring love back to their workplace? What's some uh, quick advice that they could say, you know what? Love's important. I'm going to go today and, and start getting it going. It gets back to another one of those important questions that I've been asking lately. Yeah. And it's come up several times in our conversation here, Jesse. It's to sit down and contemplate First, but contemplating and then by trying to answer the question, what should love look like in the way I do business? What should it look like in the way that I do business? Or on the variation on the theme, how can I better show my customers, my employees, my colleagues, my team that I love them? And if you want something really tangible, you know, really action oriented, it gets back to what you were saying before, you know, that love note thing. Yes. I call that a professional love note. So. Pick somebody, especially right now, man. Yeah. Pick somebody on your team. Pick a customer, doesn't matter who it is, and sit down and write a personal note. Get a little note card and actually write a personal handwritten note of thanks or appreciation for that person and send it to them. Oh, awesome. awesome. See what it does for you. See what it does for them. Oh, it's game changing. Steve, this was awesome as always. And I get up early rocking and rolling here. I really appreciate you. And when I first read your book, I immediately started saying, wow, what else can we do? And I think the great point is it's the questions you ask yourself. That's what we kept coming back to is the questions you ask yourself. So I've learned so much from you. And like when this gets- well, that means, you know, It means a lot coming from you because you guys are such, uh, I wish you'd been on my radar screen earlier because damn, you'd be a case study in that book. <laughs> no question about it. The creativity that you bring to bear on answering that question, what should love look like? Yeah. And by the way, love is, it's, uh, there are a lot of ways to say it. What should fun look like? What should yeah. enjoyment look like? What should the experience? Yeah. You, and, and then, of course, you use the word explicitly, which uh, obviously I'm a big fan of. So uh, thanks for being such a great inspiration to all of us. Appreciate it, man. This is great. Finishing with a thank you to me. Seriously, Dave, great stuff. We'll talk soon, man. 
Thanks for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And that standing out is the best way to grow your business. For more information about the guest and topics covered on this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.